His identity is revealed. Welcome to episode 10 of the Popper's Cage podcast. This is Gabo. I'm one of your hosts. On the line with me are Dime Collector. Hello, Dime. Hey, what is up, my friend? Uh, just just hanging. And we've got Love on the other line. What's up, Love? Hey, what's up? Yeah. Did I say episode 10? That's double digits. Uh, we, we got there. We're, we're churning out the content. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, so... Uh, to celebrate, uh, I want to talk about some of the things that we've been doing, uh, you know, related to, to magic and popper and all that stuff. And also, uh, the main topic of this podcast is going to be M13 picks. Why don't we start with, uh, what Love has been doing? You were telling me you were grinding the, the cube on MTGO. Is that, oh, yeah. Has that been your uh, main, main activity? Uh, with magic? Well, both yes and no. Uh, cube is... Well, it's it's not a, a format where you can profit at all. I mean, it's... Uh, this time around, uh, they pay, paid out in um, Onslaught uh, draft kits. And uh, Onslaught's draft kit costs... Uh, you, you got three tickets for it when you sold it. So if you played so you won six boosters or more, you went pretty much just slightly losing. Yeah. So it's not something I would recommend someone play, but I love Cube so much that I felt like I should use money and play Cube. So <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much what I did. Yeah, I played like 10-ish. 10? Ten? Wow. Yeah, I played like about 10 cubes, and then I observed some streamers Cube, and I watched some friends Cube and stuff. I think I watched like 30 to 40 cubes in total during this time around. Oh, cool. So you've basically been taking a break from, uh, from grinding the dailies, right? And, and that makes sense because of the price of the M12 packs. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, when the price dropped to about two tickets from the boosters, I stopped playing the dailies. Yeah. Uh, but I, I haven't played that many dailies uh, as of yet because I, uh, I was just getting comfortable with uh, the Blue Red Storm deck when uh, the prices dropped really fast. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, uh, yeah, your, your red-blue storm deck. Uh, well, you, you showed me this daily where the top two players were playing your, your deck. Uh, have you been tweaking it? Has it been successful, even if well, you're not playing uh, The version of the deck I'm playing, which is not with the storage land, placed first in that tournament, which had me really happy. It was the actually my exact 75 cards that the person was playing. Uh, and that had me pretty happy because it's people listening, people checking out the decks. And it's probably because uh, 8686 uh, is such, so successful with the deck that he saw it and uh, copied it, but it still made me happy because it's some of those tweaks are my ideas and some of his his, and it's really fun to see a deck grow. Um, but it, I also noticed that that daily had very little control uh, decks in it, like lots of aggro, and, and in a form, uh, aggro format, uh, con, uh, combo thrives. So. Yeah, for sure. Oh, cool. So, anything else been going on? Yeah, some bit. I joined Team DBC. 
oh, yeah. the more elitist, <laughs> I, I guess you call it, pauper clan. Or not pauper, it's actually just a grinder's clan for people who grind dailies and earn packs. I mean, it's not very elitist, but it's, it's nice people, but it's very, very, very quiet. I think I've talked in the clan chat like twice. Oh. And most people just are online and play and go offline without saying anything. So. And I have also uh, actually switched decks right now because Delver... Popper is becoming very much more popular. Okay. Uh, as I've noticed, uh, more and more daily... Th- that the dailies are firing even with the extreme horrible payouts uh, is a fact that it's growing. And when a format is growing like this, People will go with a deck that they feel they are the most comfortable with. Uh, Blue White Delver is the most popular deck in Standard and the best deck by far, uh, at least until M13 was introduced. And uh, that means that people will play the Delver deck in um, Popper as well, at least what I've seen. Uh, the Blue Tempo based Delver, not the Mono Blue Control, is the most popular deck in Popper right now, and by a Pre, not a pretty wide margin, but at least like of of the tier one decks, it's very very popular. Um, that's probably why. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. They don't use prohibit, do they? The, the card prohibit. No, because that, that that one uh, shot up in price from uh, from the the invasion block drafts. It, the yeah. invasion block drafts brought it down in price by you know by quite a lot, like to less than. Fifty cents, and now it's back up to over one ticks, and that's the only blue card that that has been doing that. But of course, uh, Cloud of Fairies is going up a lot, and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, and Ninja, the Ninja, that's yeah, Ninja's gone up quite a lot. Yeah. So all of these uh, cards uh, are popular in the tempo deck. So I stopped playing Storm because they I just lost. Matchup, I lost like yeah. three or four dailies in a row. Uh, just playing lots and lots and lots of Delver. And I got quite <laughs> fed up with that. So I changed decks. And I've been testing decks back and forth. I tested Affinity. Yeah, that, uh, that one's supposed to have a good matchup against... Uh, yeah, but I found it too funky. Okay. I didn't like the deck. I mean, now I'm, I'm looking for pretty much a deck that I like to pilot. Okay. That is good against Delver. That is the aim of this. Oh, oh um, um, Dredge. Have you tried uh, Red Black Dredge? No, because that deck gives me a headache. Oh. It's way, way, way too complicated. Oh, I okay. shall probably try it, but I think I've found my deck, and that is Mono Blue Control. Oh dear, Mono Ooh. Blue Control. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> New plant, exact seventy-five cards, and yeah. I've been stomping Delvers left and right with it. Yeah. Well, that that one does have a good matchup against Delver. Yeah, a good matchup against two of the tier one decks. I mean, the tier I've seen been keeping tier one decks. Uh, the t- the three tier one decks are Blue Red Storm. Blue Red Post and Tempo Delver. Yeah. So it has a good matchup against Delver and Storm and a bad matchup against Cloud Post. Yeah. So that's why I, I've been playing with it a bit. But I guess you're just uh, like trying it out in the tournament practice, right? Because you haven't yeah. been grinding or anything. No, I'm yeah. not grinding the dailies and until Doing a, two, a two-man uh, is, is a loss by default, <laughs> even if you win. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about grinding on uh, Modo, as we have... Sp- I've spoken a little bit that I do it, and I've talked to people that does it. Some people are very, very, very successful. Uh, I've heard from of one grinder who I talked to. Uh, he has earned, like, 500 packs wow. this this year, just from, this, from January 1st 
to like a month ago. We had earned 450 packs, I think it was. And like 430 of those were from daily events. And I'm going to talk a little bit about expected value. I assume that some, if not most, of our listeners know what expected value is because uh, some of the other podcasts use it. But I'm still going to explain the concept that it is when you do... I'm, I'm going to use coin flip, a coin flip as an example. If you disregard that the coin can land on its edge, <laughs> then if you bet, say, 10 bucks on every coin flip, a friend, if you get heads, you win 10 bucks. And if you get tails, he wins 10 bucks uh, from each other. It's a bet. If you keep flipping that coin infinite amount of times, it's going to end up zero profit for either of you. That is the definition of expected values. If you do something a lot of times, you will end up losing, winning, or breaking even. Yeah. And for this, you need to know your win rate. For example, two-man queues in modern or standard where they pay out in packs that are worth something. Let's say the packs are worth three tickets. You pay two tickets to enter, and if you win, you get a pack that is worth three. So you need to win every two. You win. You need to win two for every three uh, two-man events you enter to go break even. Yeah. If you win more than that, you are plus expected value. If you win less than that, you are negative expected value. So if you go into a daily event, you get you play four rounds, and you need to win at least three of those to get a prize. And if you win three of those, you get six boosters. And if you win all four rounds, you get 12 boosters. But let's just assume that if you win three out of the four matches, you get six boosters. That's it. No other price than that. That, if you're still going by the uh, fact that packs are worth three, which, are, which the M, M12 packs were most of the time until the, they dropped, and M13 would be worth more than that at the start, we have six times three, which is 18. Yeah. And the entry fee of a daily is six tickets. So you need to win three matches in every third daily event you play to go break even. Yeah. And this is not calculating that you can win four rounds and win 11 boosters instead of six. So it's, it's very easy, or not, maybe not very easy, but it's easy to at least be break even and it should be possible for most people with some endurance to actually go plus EV of playing the daily events. Well, and there's another aspect to grinding which is why it's called grinding. Just playing the daily events is plus expected value for most people. But grinding is where you play a lot. You play daily events. You play. You might play two formats or even three. I've seen people triple queuing, which means they have three different daily events ongoing at the same time and just swapping between them and then waiting when the sideboard is one and playing like two others so you, have, so you don't time out. So... What one guy have recommended for Popper, he, he, I wrote a, oh my brain, I um, read an article about it, is that he played the daily events. And the big point here is that he played a quick deck. He didn't play post. He didn't play mono blue control. He played, he played Grix's Storm. But you could play Blue Red Storm, you could play uh, Goblins, you could play Burn. Any deck where the games will be over quickly. 
And when you're done with the round, whether you won or lost, you then go and play either a second daily event in another format, like Standard or Modern, or you go to the two-mans and play the two-man queues okay. while you waited for the next round. So you got in a lot of uh, games and volume and had a big, had big, many chances to earn money. <laughs> so that's pretty much uh, it about grinding. It's the, the big important thing in there is that you need to have the big point is that you need to have a quick deck if you need if you want to grind two mans. Otherwise, any deck is fine, which you prefer to play, uh, and you think it's going to win. And I have one more point here. Well, if, while you're thinking about it, I want to give an opinion, and that is that I I really don't get grinding uh, for value, uh, like unless you really really enjoy the the pleasure. Of, of playing these fast decks and receiving these little booster packs. There are just so many other ways that you can make much more money. And, yeah. and you know, just, just, you know, just spend it on magic online. It, it, and it doesn't really make sense to me. I, uh, this is more information about myself. I play poker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not very good. I'm, I, Go plus slightly. I mean, I'm, I'm a little. I'm a winning player, but I'm not very, very good. And I looked into getting grinding on Magic because I love Magic. It's really, really fun. And then I looked into Popper because it's the. I'm a student and I have very little money, and the poker doesn't pay enough for me, so I can withdraw enough to do much else than pay some stuff. So I needed to find a way to gain money in Magic Online, and the two choices I had was trading. Or grinding. But I realized trading needed a starting capital to actually give any profit in any reasonable amount of time. Yeah. And grinding, the amount of time I would put into grinding and deck tech and practice, if I put that into something else like poker, for instance, I would earn a lot more money and I found grinding boring. So I'm a pretty spike player. I love competitiveness. I net deck. I play, I lean towards combo, but I can play any of the three archetypes as long as it's the best deck in format. Like, for example, if I would be playing standard, I would be playing blue-white uh, Delver. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend grinding. <laughs> but I want to explain how it works. Okay. Uh, because if you enjoy grinding, and if you enjoy the deck, then by all means go for it, because it's a great way to keep Magic Online from actually costing you money. Yeah, that that is definitely true. A very famous name, like Michael Jacob, also called Darkest Mage on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. He has he has said, and I actually believe him, that he has ne- he has not paid a cent for Magic Online. He was in the beta, got a draft kit, and played a draft during Invasion when that was the normal block, and he won. But I have gone from it from that, and I have watched him play, and he has easily has cards for thousands of tickets. Plus, he probably has a lot of tickets just laying around. Because he's a very, very skilled player, and he has been grinding and playing a lot of Magic Online. But this is one of the top players of the world. So yeah. well, might not apply to all of us. Yeah, and there are many ways that you can just take advantage of, of all the things that MTGO offers. Uh, like I, I, for example, I don't grind. I'm kind of an average player. But I have other ways, and uh, I haven't spent uh, uh, much money 
on Magic Online ever since I, I discovered all these ways that you can play and gather value, uh, you know, basically for free and, and just keep increasing my assets in, in Magic Online. Yeah, you, 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 you trade, right? I trade, but then I also, you know, I play the player-run events. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, then do a bunch of things like that. And yeah, it works, I, works I, really uh, well. I, I watch a lot of streams, uh, Magic Online and otherwise. And I, um, there was, there were a lot of people asking, people like Michael Jacob and, uh, a winner is you and these really top grinders mm-hmm. and players, really skilled players. What do you recommend that someone who wants to grind on Magic Online start with? And a winner is you answered that you should start with player run events. It's a great way if you can borrow a deck or find a very cheap deck for bulk and play play player-run events that doesn't cost anything but pay out in some tickets. And then you should start playing Popper because Popper is really cheap. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if you compare a modern deck to a Popper deck, it costs like a nice. But there are some cheap modern decks. Some. Yeah, Yeah, they were talking about them in, in another podcast. I just want to give a quick shout out to our super fan, uh, Govnoval. Oh, this is such a difficult name to pronounce. You'll probably be better at it, Louv. Uh, Wait, try what? That again. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'll, I'll try Gov-Noval. this. Govnoval. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. So um, he's uh, he wrote uh, a bunch of comments on on our uh, blog. Uh, very positive comments, uh, analyzing all all of our episodes, and you know, telling us what he, what he liked about them, and and a, a little bit of constructive feedback about uh, the quality in one of the episodes. Uh, but but yeah, his his comments were great, and it's it's really cool to hear uh, to to read comments like that, and it make it makes I know it makes me want to you know do some more research and and create yet an even better uh, podcast. Uh, so, so thanks, thanks very much to you, uh, Govnovalj. I want to talk a bit about what I've been doing uh, and some of the updates that have been done to the Popper's Cage web log or blog. Um, so let's start first with um, uh, with a, a couple of things that I've been doing. Uh, I've, I'm organizing what I call a budget sealed league. Uh, this is with the Popper Crew Clan, and uh, I actually opened it up to the forums from the Popper to the People for, uh, forums, uh, but they they haven't been very uh, interested in participating. So it seems to be mainly a Popper Crew Popper Crew thing. Uh, but it's a very interesting thing. It, uh, the, if if you like sealed, uh, you know the sealed format. Uh, but you think it's expensive. Uh, for example, the pre-releases and, and the releases, they cost 24, 25 ticks. Uh, you get six boosters. That's relatively expensive. So for the Budget Sealed League, what I do is I, uh, I generate the boosters that you're going to be using, and then you just purchase the cards from, from these uh, generated card lists. And um, if, if you... If you if you take a look at the the financing of MTGO, you'll realize that boosters are worth way more than the cards that are inside them usually. So, usually the expected value of a booster is is around one ticks, uh, between one and two ticks, depending on the set. 
And that's including the fact that you might open up a, a chase rare. So for this budget sealed league, we actually ban all the expensive rares. So each booster, its, it's expected value is uh, less than a ticks usually. So um, you, you can actually like half a ticks. So you can open eight, eight boosters and it'll cost you uh, four ticks to open all eight boosters, uh, to play with all the cars there, to purchase them. But of course, uh, you might already have drafted or, or have obtained most many of the cards, so you can use those if you already have them. And basically, it's a league, so uh, for the first week, everyone gets uh, a number of boosters, say six boosters, and then you, you build a deck with, with those boosters, and you can change your deck in between games, and you play against... Uh, everyone else and then you get points and then the next week uh you get another booster you, you can modify your deck a little bit play some more games and so on for as many weeks as the league is is uh long and then at the end uh, you have a, a, a top eight top four depending on how many players there are and there are prizes so so I'm organizing one of these leagues, uh, and I'm actually sponsoring a few of the prizes. Well, uh, Popper's Cage is sponsoring the prizes. Uh, so that's that's an interesting thing. But perhaps more interesting is that I'm actually going to open it open it up for general public for the next iteration uh, because uh, I was I was basically trying it out uh, with the Popper Crew Clan. So if any of you guys uh, like uh, sealed uh, sealed or limited play in general. Uh, you should definitely try this out because it's a lot of fun and it's it's very cheap and you get a lot of games for uh, just a few few ticks. A lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. Definitely, yeah. Um, and all the games, they're they're very different games because you can have uh, various strategies within your your pool of cards. So sometimes you might make three or four decks, and then you might try one, you might try the other. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. So that's that's one thing. Um, so I've been adding a bunch of things to the the Popper's Cage blog, and there's there's a lot of useful stuff that I'd like to throw out there for anyone who hasn't checked it out. So for new players, uh, I wrote a, a little article that explains uh, most of the things about Popper and where to look. Um, I've also there's there's been a, a couple of posts that have tier one, well, tier one extended decks. So if you consider tier one just the, the very, very best decks, the ones you mentioned, uh, Delver, uh, Storm, and Cloudpost, that, that's kind of limiting. I actually include all the decks that, that can foreo consistently in the, in the dailies. Um, so that would include things like White Weenie, Mono Black Control, Stompy, stuff like that. So those are what I can I included as as the tier one decks. Uh, so there's a listing of all the decks, a description of how they work, uh, an example deck list, and a link to uh, MTGO Academy's deck tech uh, with the filter on to show you all the decks for for that type of for that archetype, all the decks that have won. In the dailies, uh, in the last, well, I don't know how how long their database goes, but it's pretty long. Um, so that's a really useful uh, resource if you're if you're trying to net deck uh, any 
any of the tier one decks. And I also did that for tier two decks. So all the ones that, that are kind of more roguish, but have won, you know, their share of, of dailies. Uh, there's, there's about 20 decks, uh, like that. And they're all really, really interesting. And so I've, uh, uh, there's a link that has the description and example deck list and a link to the MTGO deck tech, uh, MTGO Academy deck tech. Uh, so that's, that's quite useful for anyone, uh, trying to figure out what kind of deck they want to try. Uh, there they can find all the decks and all the variations for all the decks. Um, also, I'm working on adding, uh, for the tier one decks, uh, what I call a quick price approximation. So just uh, listing out all the expensive cards and then putting a kind of a, uh, a range of what you can expect to pay for these. So we, we already did this for all the decks that we've done a full deck tech uh, in the podcast. Uh, but I want to do like a simplified version of that for all the tier one decks. Uh, but that's still in the works. So I'll get that up. And um, there's also a, a post that has a, the tier one deck matchups. Uh, basically, it tells you what percentage any given tier one deck has against any other deck. So if you're wondering, well, what's the metagame like? So for example, right now the, the metagame is, is Delver Blue. Uh, and you want to see what what deck has a higher chance of beating it? You can go and have a look at this uh, at this post, and it'll tell you uh, what what decks it has a worse matchup with. So that that's pretty useful for analyzing the metagame. And lastly, uh, I've added uh, a proper prices sheet and and a blog post with the latest changes. So there's there's a a whole Excel well not Excel a Google Docs uh, file that has all the prices for all the expensive pauper uh, cards uh, for the last few weeks. And there's a blog post that I'll keep updating with uh, how, they're, how they're changing every week, and I'll point out any of the high-risers or, or anything that's going down so that you can sell it before it's too late or stuff like that. So uh, keep a lookout on that if you're interested in making money from investments or if you want to know when to pounce on on cards, uh, you know, to get them at the best price. So that's about it for the for the blog. I think it's it's uh, it's becoming a pretty good resource, and we have had over twenty thousand hits now. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and that that was uh, pretty fast, from going from the ten thousand to the twenty thousand, as opposed to getting Sweet. to the ten thousand. Um. All right, so another exciting thing that happened was that Tangent... Uh, do you guys know who Tangent is? Yeah. yeah. He I write- do not know who Tangent is. Well, let me tell you. He writes uh, a, a a series of articles on uh, gatheringmagic.com uh, called MTGO Hero. And, well, he's also, he's also a, a podcast personality. He's been on, on various shows. He's in Jinxed Idols and... Uh, was he in public? No, he was in uh, Mana, Mana Deprived, Mana, Mana something. Um, but yeah, he's in. He's currently in Jinx Titles, and uh, and he writes this uh, series called MTGO Hero, where he's he basically started with a hundred ticks, and and with that he invested in an event deck, I think, 
and then he's been modifying it and grinding it out. Well, not really grinding it, but playing it in the dailies and trying to improve the deck and win enough to have a positive EV to basically go infinite or, or you know, make make some ticks out of it. But um, unfortunately, his, it, it, the, it didn't go so well. He started losing, and so he's considering... He was started considering other formats, and someone told him that Popper is a good format to try out if you know you're going for a budget-themed uh, series of articles. And so he contacted us. Uh, well, he contacted both uh, people from Popper to the People and us, and uh, to ask for suggestions. And I sent him a lengthy email with with everything that I knew about you know the, the best decks, uh, and pointed it, pointed him out. Uh, everything he he could use, so uh, hopefully he'll he will start going into popper, and then we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, but I was excited, you know, that uh, that that we are getting out there, and he heard of us, and you know he reached he reached out to us. So that's that's really good. And let me tell you, do you know how he heard about us? No, no. He heard about us through Twitter. And that brings us to uh, the most recent news, which is that we opened up a Twitter account uh, for Popper's Cage. So we'll be using that to give on-the-minute news and to announce you know, new episodes and content on the blog and price changes and all that stuff. And um, so I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked about that. I, I, I hadn't really used Twitter uh, before, but, you know, magic... Uh, there's a lot of magic stuff going on in, in Twitter, so it, everyone recommends it for anyone who wants to know anything about magic. Uh, and that brings me uh, to segue into the fact that Dime Collector also has a Twitter account, don't you? Yeah, mine's actually brand new, and all three of us have Twitter accounts now, so yeah. we're all accessible through that uh, through that resource. Yeah, and um, so. So other than opening up your Twitter account, uh, what, what, what have you been doing, Dime? I, 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 I saw that you had some, some success with a silver-black uh, deck. You want to talk about that? Sure, I would love to talk about that. Uh, first, I just wanted to say to Luva, congrats on your deck list being so successful in the dailies. That sounds awesome. I don't know if it's so successful, but it's pretty fun. Thanks. <laughs> And then also the uh, Popper's Cage blog. It sounds like that's becoming a really great resource. And I think people should know that, Gabo, you're the absolutely the main contributor to that. So that's really thanks to you. Well, thank you. And as far as the Twitter accounts, just so everybody knows, um, Gabo, your Twitter account is at Gabo Cheeto. Yeah, that, that's my personal account. So I'll be using that for anything that's, that's just for me. It's just, uh, you know, personal stuff, and I'll probably use that to follow a bunch of people. But at okay. Popper's Cage will be where I'll be announcing everything uh, that's that's specifically related to our podcast, to the weblog, or to Popper in general. Okay, great. And then my Twitter account is at DimeCollectorSC, so it's the same title that my YouTube page is under. So hopefully that'll be pretty easy to locate. Um, and Luva, do you want your Twitter account to be out in the public eye, or 
Yeah, I don't mind, but I don't tweet at all. <laughs> okay. I, I have my, I, right now, I don't tweet. Uh, I just have, I, I got Twitter and then I just didn't get the hang of it. I just decided it wasn't for me. Mm. And then I re-got Twitter and I've been using it as a side, kind of a pseudo RSS feed. And my Twitter right. nick is also Grasbus. So people can put one and one together. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen you tweet anything, so it's probably not not very important for people. It's to not important, but I mean, I might start tweeting if people if there are if yeah. people start following me, I might start tweeting. Okay, well, everyone follow him. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm Grasbus as well on Twitter as an MTGO. So silver black. So dime. You want to tell us about your silver black? deck and event that you participated in, YouTube videos. Well, it all started with a previous episode that we did where you introduced us all to these other formats that are budget-related but also have player-run events that support them. And the one that kind of interested me the most was one called Heirloom, and that's uh, the format that is completely based around uh, the legality is based around how much a card costs. So I started looking at deck lists and seeing what was possible. And I realized that in Heirloom, there is pretty much, with the exception of Figure of Destiny, pretty much every Kithkin tribal-related card is legal. And for those that don't know, Kithkin is a a tribe that came out in Lorwyn Block. I, they existed before that, but they they became more prominent in that block, which was a tribal-based set. And in, even in Standard at a time, Kithkin in various color combinations was a viable deck from what I can gather. And so it's, it was something that caught my eye as being powerful uh, in, in the color that I tend to play, which is mono-white, and in the archetype, which I like to play, which is beatdown. <laughs> so... Uh, I started looking at cards that were legal in Heirloom, and another huge one that, that it happens to be legal is Glorious Anthem, and that's an enchantment for colorless, white-white, and creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So I got really excited. I had Glorious Anthem, and then also Kithkin, they have a lord called Wizen Sen. It's a two-drop that gives other Kithkin plus one, plus one. So I have this deck with all these efficient Kithkin creatures and and a bunch of anthems, and that's pretty much all I need to win. So I was really happy. Um, I need to ask you, what color yeah. is the deck? Uh, the Kitkin deck is mono-white. Yeah, that's what I figured. So you're playing a white weenie deck in that format. Exactly, yeah, but it's a tribal one, so... Uh, oh, so then you're excused. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying, like, it's... It's not simply white weenie. It's a little bit more powerful because of the tribal bonuses... Um, if I were to just play a white weenie deck, I don't know if it would be strong enough in the other formats. But that's not going to stop me from trying, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, but anyway, so I had this heirloom deck ready to go, and I was really excited. And on gatherling.com, which you mentioned, it's a really great resource. It tells you when all the events are coming up and... There was an event that I was getting ready for that was on a Wednesday. And so the day before, I have this great heirloom deck, and I go to check, you know, what time this event will be. So I go to Gatherling, 
and I click on the event for Wednesday, and it turns out it's not an heirloom event. It's actually a silver black event. So I realized that I have to change my deck to be silver black legal, and that means it's only going to have commons and uncommons. But the great thing about Kipkin is that almost all of its cards that I was using were already uncommons or commons. So I did have to take out Glorious Anthem, and I had to take out uh, another card called uh, Kinsbell Border Guard, which is a rare, and I replaced them with some uncommons. So instead of Glorious Anthem, I played an uncommon called Celestial Crusader, and he's a 2-2 flying flash for two colorless, two white, and he gives other white creatures plus one, plus one. And I replaced the Border Guard with Squadron Hawk because it kind of filled a similar role in that it was generating uh, multiple threats for the cost of one card. So, you know, long story short, I actually went into this event and I recorded everything. So I have a Death Tech video available on my YouTube and all the matches are available as well. So you really get to see me jump into this format from a first person's perspective and try and adjust to everything I'm facing. And luck was really on my side day because I actually went 4-0 and I took first place in the event. So I was really happy about that. And uh, it was a deck that I kind of built on my own. Obviously, there were some cards that I knew would go into it, but I didn't really take any uh, information from anybody else or advice. So I, I was really happy about that. And since then, I've been testing Silver Black a lot more. Actually, a few members of my clan, which is called Popper Gnomes on MTGO, have jumped into the format as well. So I wanted to just shout out some of the members. All-Star 997 has been playing Silver Black as well as a number of the player-run event formats. And we've been testing a little bit. And also, Apollo 7, who Gabo actually helped get into the clan, has been playing that as well, and Sir Pop-Tart 15. So we've been testing the format a little bit, and we're really looking forward to participating some more. The first season just ended, so we are going to be gearing up for the second season. And there's some more videos on my YouTube of playtest matches, so please check those out as well. So as far as Silver Black, that's pretty much uh, all that I've been doing uh, with the format, but I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's really fun. I I just want to give you a, like a big high five, you know, congratulations on that. Uh, I, I was really excited because you basically built that deck from nothing and you, you didn't really test it out much. And then you, you just went and, and took down this, this tournament, you know, from people who have been playing this format for, for a while now. So that just shows just how, how amazing you are, Dime. Do you realize how amazing you are? Uh, I'm just extremely lucky is is the main thing. So you did get um, a little bit lucky, but that's uh, not just luck. Congratulations yeah, are still in order, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Oh well, thank you. I mean, the thing is, I did test the heirloom version a little bit. I was going into some of the rooms and playing people with their classic decks or modern decks and stuff like that. So I I knew how the deck played. But when I had to adjust it to be silver black, that was the one that I really didn't have any experience with. But since the player run events are free, I figured it's a great place to just test anyway. And the competitive aspect of it is, is just a bonus. Well, um, I'm glad you're enjoying that 
that format. Uh, and I recommend anyone else uh, interested in trying out new formats to go there. Okay. Definitely. Uh, and I think you have w- uh, at least one more piece of really exciting news, Dime. Uh, you want to talk about your new role? No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really, really happy to let people know that I'm now a writer for mtgoacademy.com. And that's a website we've been talking about since the first episode of this show. And I'm a huge fan of that site, and I think it's a great resource. And they are actually letting me do some popper articles there. So my first one uh, came out, well, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll have been been around for a while. And I'll probably have a second one up. And it's covering the popper format, the title of this article series is dime a dozen. So that will be how you can, uh, you'll know that it's me over there. And you know, my name is Jason Moore. So also look for that as the writer name. His identity is revealed. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been really great so far. There's also another writer for popper. His name's Michael. Um, and he's a member of our clan as well. So it's, I got to thank him because he actually recommended that I check out MTGO Academy. I told him I was interested in in doing some writing and uh, his articles are also fantastic. And we're really looking forward to putting out a lot more content for all the fans of this format. Oh, cool. So Michael uh, Redzilla, right? He's, he joined Popper Gnomes. Yes, he did. Oh, that's awesome. What's his, uh, well, can you reveal his MTGO name? Yeah, his MTGO name, I believe, is the Polka Man. Oh, Polka so, Man. Okay. Or maybe it's just Polka Man, but I think it's the Polka Man. Uh, yeah, I, I, he's also on Twitter. I, I'm following him as Popper's Cage. Uh, oh wow! I gotta. I'm gonna have to follow him as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, I, I'll just let everybody know that the first article is called Lucky 13, and it's going to, well, it it looks at M13 and breaks down all the comments that I think are interesting, and I actually even brew a couple decks around those comments, so it'll tie in very nicely with our subject for this episode. Yeah, and that uh, segues nicely into the main topic, I think. So, Dime, you mentioned that M13 was kind of lacking in cards. I just want to say that I agree with you. <laughs> in, in cards that, uh, that are useful to Popper Classic, at least. Yeah, I agree. I think the, uh, the sets from Innistrad Block were more exciting than M13. And it's a mix of the fact that M13 has a ton of functional reprints, so it's a lot of cards we already have access to. And also, I think they had more of a focus on their uncommons and rares, as far as I can tell. Yeah. And they, I guess maybe that's just how the limited format plays out, or they were looking for more of a constructed, standard, impacting set or something like that. Well, let me give you some numbers. Um, There's only about eight non-reprints per color. So there's only eight cards to choose from uh, that could have any kind of impact because everything else ha- is already there, right? Mm. And um, because the they obviously have to keep a balance 
you know, to take into account a limited play, take into account standard, and to a lesser degree, modern. Uh, they can't print anything that's far too powerful. Uh, so they can only print basically unique things uh, that might make a, you know, an impact on something like on a, on a, a bigger eternal format like classic popper. Uh, but at least I, I do believe there are some cards that are worth taking a look at. And I'm pretty sure we'll be seeing some of these in dailies as people experiment with them. Um, so let, let me start by talking about the keyword that comes back in, in M13. That's exalted. So it's, it's basically, uh, if a creature has exalted, then when a creature on your board attacks alone, then that creature gets plus one, plus one, um, from from every creature that gives that has the exalted keyword. Um, now, this this is obviously a, a returning keyword, and there is no, nobody is using it in classic popper. So, and I don't believe any of the cards, any of the new cards uh, that we're seeing in M thirteen, uh, will add to that. So, I I just wanted to put that out there. However, I think. It might make a deck uh, in standard popper. I, I don't play standard popper at all, so I don't really have an opinion. What I could say is that I think you're correct, just by the fact that uh, standard popper is a lot more aggro based than uh, yeah, that other format. No, than classic popper. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot more aggro decks, and there's burn, and there's not as many good control cards, or as not at all combo. So I guess Exalted can make a return, but I have no idea if there are cards uh, good. So. How about I just go through some of the cards that I uh, that I that I think are worth point pointing out. So the first one um, that I wanted to point out was Ajani Sunstriker, and I believe um, Alex Ullman. He's he's he he's your competitor, right? Uh, he's got an article also in uh, uh, SCG. Yeah, uh, RCG games. Yeah, and he he kind of mentioned it. Um, it's it, this is a, a a two mana two two, uh, but it's it's two white mana, so white white. Uh, that is just a guy who has lifelink, basically, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, so this could be good against burn, maybe. Uh, but probably not strong enough to see any play in classic popper. But maybe in in standard, I think it'll definitely see play in standard popper because burn decks are are so strong there. Uh, the lifelink will be relevant in standard popper if it sees play, but the two two body I think is just going to be too small. Um, and obviously with double white cost, it'll primarily be seen in White Weenie. Yeah. I mean, compared to something like, um, uh, what was it called? He's a 2-1 that when he comes into play, he gains you four life. That's Lone Missionary. The Lone Missionary, yeah. So this guy has to attack twice uh, to get kind of the same value, uh, but he does have one more toughness. Uh, and Lone Missionary did see a lot of play uh, before we got um, the 1-1 one, one that gains you a life when you play a card and the opponent loses a life when they play a card. Suture Priest. Suture Priest, yeah. So that the, the low missionary did see play, especially against goblins. Uh, 
So this guy could be perhaps compared to that, but I guess the fact that he has to attack makes him very uh, vulnerable to, you know, just a lightning bolt, and there goes any kind of gain. Right? So Yeah, that's true. The, this, the one advantage this guy has over a lone missionary, besides being able to survive one damage spells, is that if you equip him or something like that, then the, you will have more significant life swings. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned burn and goblins. Those matchups I don't think White Weenie needs much more help with, and even if they did, I don't think this guy would be that game-changing anyway. Yeah, 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 that's a great point. So basically, the the only deck where he could really help, uh, White already has a, an advantage and has plenty of cards to, to break them, right? So, so really not something we're going to see. Okay, I guess moving on then. Um, so the next card I want to look at is Attended Knight. Now this one I think is, is a unique card and is, is, is something that, that we could very well see. Um, so he's a 3-drop. Uh, he costs 2 and a white. He's a 2-2 two, two with first strike. And when he comes into play, uh, he brings in a, a little 1-1 a one, one squire. Uh, so that's basically card advantage, right? You're getting two creatures for a cost of one. Uh, if you compare that to something like Phyrexian Rager, who uh, costs the same, and he, he brings a 2-2, but he dr- that one draws you a card. Um, I don't know if they're, they're really comparable, but the fact that it brings two creatures negates a lot of the, the issues that our other cards have in proper classic, and that's, you know, you need to have either a lot of power or some form of card advantage, which is what makes uh, Loyal Cathar uh, so good, right? You have to kill him twice. Well, it's something very similar with this guy, but this guy has first strike, which uh, which makes him quite good. So do you think we might see him in any decks? Well, I have not played um, that much White Weenie, but from what I've seen, the three slot is pretty empty in classic White Weenie. Am I wrong? No, yeah, there are no no real three drops in White Weenie. So uh, I think it may have a spot to like get a better curve in Classic White Weenie. I, I I think the card will, based on the power level, you get you get three power and three tough, toughness from three mana, and two of the power and toughness have first strike. That's a very good deal for three mana. Mm-hmm. So if, I I think still. No knowledge of standard popper, but I think he will see play in standard popper, and I think he might see at least experiment and play in white mini. I haven't played the white mini deck, but it seems like he plays into their game plan. I think this guy will, or at least should, see some play in standard popper for sure. Uh, and it's interesting that white is getting more tools in its arsenal because I don't play standard popper, but I follow it. <laughs> and in my opinion, white weenie is just the, the best deck. In that in that format, it's constantly um, it's constantly getting first place, and it's also just very hard to deal with for all the other colors. And every time I even consider brewing for that format and stuff, uh, almost anything I come up with has a very hard time against White Weenie. Uh, but that being said, they're getting another great tool, and since Standard Popper really isn't my uh, my forte, I'll try and just address this card for classic. And this is this is almost like the popper blade splicer. 
In fact, the the power level between those cards are not that different. With with the Blade Splicer, you get four power over two two bodies. And this at common for the same price is giving you three power. So uh, obviously the Blade Splicer can can be abused and taken advantage of in a much stronger way than Attended Knight. But that being said, you guys have already talked about some of the benefits. I mentioned equipping the Sun Striker, but equipping this guy is even better because now he just fights anything on the ground and will win. Um, and to be honest, I think if you're going to play Attended Knight, you should be playing it in a deck that is that utilizes War Falcon, and that's a card we'll talk about later, I'm yeah. sure. Um, and I say that because Attended Knight gives you two relevant creature types uh in those two bodies, he or she herself is a human knight, and then the token is a soldier. So that that presents two bodies that turn on War Falcon. And I, I've tested War Falcon a little bit at this point. And one of the issues is is the opponent can take the strategy of trying to kill your all of your soldiers or knights. And so with the attended knight, I think it makes their game plan a lot worse. And that is where I would recommend putting this card. I don't, I don't know that you want this in traditional white weenie yeah. because it would have to replace something like Razor Golem. And I think the Razor Golem is probably going to be a better card on the whole. Um, but that's my, that's my initial uh, opinion. Um, I, I was also thinking that it's got some good uh, interactions with things like uh, the uh, Cloud Shift. Or even uh, core Skyfisher, you know, just uh, being able to bring it back in again to get another one-one uh, could give you even more card advantage. So maybe maybe we'll see a deck uh, that tries to abuse that. You know, we don't have Restoration Angel, but we do have Cloud Shift. Yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Just as Blade Splicer is being bounced around with uh, Restoration Angel and Standard, I could definitely see Attended Knight at least being tried out in that capacity, and you are correct again. It's another target for Core Skyfisher, so that card is just getting better almost with every set that comes out, too. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about War Falcon, uh, since, you, since you mentioned it. Um, so this is a 2-1 flyer for one... For what? For a single white mana, that's uh, that's pretty good, right? But it can't attack unless you control a knight or a soldier. Note that it's just can't attack, right? He can block, fine, uh, if yeah. if he's your only creature. He just can't attack. But you really want him in an aggressive deck, so you do want a knight or a soldier in play. I guess there isn't really that much to add, right? You you have to build a deck around that that abuses this. But there already is a a soldier's deck. Uh, that that takes advantage of the synergy between multiple soldiers. So don't you think he might be able to to fit in that deck? Probably. I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. I'd have to take a look at their lists and, and to really tell. But from what I remember, they were playing Deft Blade Elite and similar cards in their one-drop slot. So th- I think this could probably replace at least that card. 
Yeah. And and you you brewed a deck with these cards, right? In your article, so right? Exactly. I did. Yeah. I did talk a lot about War Falcon in my article on MTGO Academy. So, and I even made a deck list uh, using the card. So, if you guys want to hear more about this one, or you're really interested in it, you could check out my article, and that will have uh, some some thoughts and ideas as well. Okay, so there's one other white card I want to talk about, and that's Captain's Call. Now, this one is uh, for three colorless and a single white mana. Uh, you put three soldier 1-1s into play. Um, and I I think that's uh, that's pretty good. I, I'd actually... I would have thought uh, that kind of a card would cost two mana and a white. Um, but, you know, you you... Use what you get, <laughs> and getting three creatures for a single card uh, can be very good in a format where uh, board sweepers aren't very prevalent. You know, uh, th- there definitely are no board sweepers in standard popper, and even in classic popper, uh, they're not that common. Right? They're you, you don't get to face them that much. So this could be like a huge card advantage in the in the right deck. Um, I want to compare it to something like Kaldatha Rebirth, uh, where you get also three creatures, but you only spend one mana. Of course, you have to sacrifice an artifact, but the, the deck can be built to abuse that. To, uh, to be honest with you, Gabo, there yes. is a card that has a better value effect. You're talking about um, Scatter the Seeds? No, Raise the Alarm. Raise the Alarm, but that one just gives you two, right? For two yeah, mana. because two mana. So it costs half, and it gives and you more gives than gives you half. two-thirds of, yeah. the, of the... But... Uh, but and uh, it's an instant. I don't know if the, the one you have is... That, yeah, that, no, this one's uh, just a sorcery, I think. Yeah, so if, I, I believe if Raise the Alarm isn't played, I don't believe this is going to be played either. Well, the big difference is that, um, that you're just using one card. So compare this to a, I guess, a hill giant. So uh, yeah. something that costs three and... And a color for a three-three. What what is actually better, right? A single creature that's a three-three or three-one-ones. It depends on the deck, really. Um, but uh, most, of the, most of the time, three-one-ones are going to be better. Ah, uh, what? Most of the time, three-one-ones are going to be better. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a deck that can abuse, um, um, like global uh, increases in power and toughness. Um, and there are there are green white token decks, for example, that you scatter the seeds. This is a, a card that actually costs three uh, green green, three colorless and a green green. Uh, and but it's an instant, and it has convoke. It, it does the same thing. It puts three one ones into play. But this one has convoke, which lets you tap uh, creatures, uh, green creatures, to well any creatures, I think. Uh, to pay for the mana instead, and that that there is a there is a tokens deck that uses that. So this this type of card uh, is slightly cheaper in a way, uh, but it it has the limitations that it's it's a sorcery and it doesn't have convoke. But it could definitely go in a deck like that. Uh, do you see any other uses for it, Dime? Uh, I don't see any uses for this card. No? I think it's too expensive myself. Okay, and. Uh, yeah, at sorcery speed. If this were an instant, then maybe we could talk about its applications. But I I really don't think it's uh, cost 
I don't think it's aggressively costed enough to see play. Maybe in standard popper, but I, I don't know about that. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I'm just having some wishful thinking. But uh, it's it's interesting to at least look at some of the possibilities. It's well, cool artwork. Yeah. Your logic isn't, isn't flawed. It's, you're correct in the things you're saying, but it just isn't powerful enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, and one more thing. I wanted to mention, you made a comment about sweepers and standard popper. Mm-hmm. And in M13, there's actually a red card. I don't know what it's called. Something to do with Chandra. It's Chandra's Ray. And well, it's, it's five the- mana, and it's a conditional sweeper um, that will take out one toughness creatures. But it, it, I don't think it's... I, I wouldn't call it conditional. It deals four damage to the... To the oppose, well, to the player, to a player, and one damage to each creature that player controls. It's just very expensive. It costs four and a red. Yeah. So, uh, that, that would see play if we start to see a large number of, of token strategies. Yeah. So, uh, Captain's Call shows up, and then we'll probably see that card. Show yeah. Up. Yeah. I guess, I guess one, uh, balances the other one out. Yeah. Okay. So, for white, I think that's, that's about, it, I don't think there's anything else worth looking at. Um, I don't know if you had any other What ideas? do you guys think of a card like Griffin Protector? Because for me, it's a little hard to analyze or really rank it in terms of power level. I think it's probably not effective just as a threat on its own, but if people wanted to make a strategy that abused its ability, what, what are your guys' thoughts about so, that? Let, let, uh, so Griffin Protector, that's the 2-3 flying guy. Yeah. Or three and a white, and when another creature enters the battlefield, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I I actually fell. I actually thought that it it was a little bit too expensive um, for for what it does. Like it'd be very hard to to abuse. I think. I mean, if you combine this with Captain's Call, you you get a what, like a five six <laughs> for one yeah. turn, uh, but but then you know you're you got two cards that cost four mana, uh, in at least in classic popper, that's just too slow, right? Yeah, I think it's standard popper. It might actually be okay against some decks because it can become the biggest creature in that format. Mm, yeah, uh, and there's also the um, what the Thatcher Thatcher Revolt in mm-hmm. Avacyn Restored that also puts three creatures. Yeah. So there might be a deck there for standard. But yeah, for classic popper it's it's un, it suffers the same problems that uh, Captain's Call does, which is it's too little for too much. Yeah. Okay, so let's go into blue. So the big standout in blue is Archeomancer, right? So this is uh, our new mnemonic wall. It's a uh 2 2 no, it's a 1 2, isn't it? For four mana, uh, it's two colorless lump mana and two blue mana. So two blue blue. Um, and well, it's it's been mentioned that this this can replace uh, something like mnemonic wall in a, in a cloud post deck. But can it? Um, because it, wouldn't you say that double blue is actually harder for a cloud post deck to play than two colorless and a single blue? Definitely. Well, I'll let Luva answer first, but 
uh, just first of all, we should probably tell them what the ability oh, is yes. itself. Uh, yes. Mnemonic uh, Wall and that. Archaeomancer both have the same ability. It's worded a little differently. Uh, Archaeomancer, when it enters the battlefield, it returns target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to your hand. And Mnemonic Wall does the same thing, except it's a May ability, whereas Archaeomancer is not a May ability. Okay. Um, so what do you think about the uh, the double blue cost, Luva? Well, double blue isn't really that much of a problem. Um, yeah, I agree I, with you. Uh, they have prisms, and they have a lot of islands, and they have fetch lands, and some of the iterations play a map. So double blue, not so much. But um, I don't know the power and toughness of the Mansur, but the wall also doubles as a protection against aggro, which means a lot. For the version that's played, the Monomic Wall. Yeah, so the, the Armancer is only a 1-2, a I believe. Yeah, then I wouldn't play it. Even if it costs one mana less. Yeah. Yeah, so I wouldn't play... I mean, colorless mana is no problem at all. So if it costs 4 or 5, is irrelevant to the Cloud Coast takes most of the time. And Monomic Wall is a huge body. He doesn't attack, but he can block a lot of big things like Razor Golem other nasty things that can stall if Cloudpost is having a hard time. So I don't think it's going to be played in Classic Popper. However, I have heard of some some people trying and failing currently, but trying to uh, build a storm deck out of the Trinket Mage, Lotus Petal, uh, Iron Mancer, or Nomic uh, Wall and Ghostly Flicker to try to get like them in and out of the to return mana and stuff. It's not going very well so far, but they keep trying. Okay, so what were you going to say, Ty? Uh, well, this is another card that I wrote about in the article, and I think this is the actually the best common in M13. It's uh, filling roles that already are available, so it's not a card that necessarily needs to go into a new deck. And uh, Luva, you're absolutely right about the uh, power and toughness being an issue, but it's it's really a trade-off between pros and cons with Mnemonic Wall and Archaeomancer. So for instance, uh, in those situations where you're being beat down, uh, casting something at 4 mana as opposed to 5 can also be a huge benefit when you need to get out of a situation because you might not have that extra turn to to do so or you might not hit that extra mana to do so or you want to be using your mana to do other things. So uh, you're, you're right. She doesn't really block very much in the, in the format. Uh, she does attack, which can be somewhat relevant, so that, that is a benefit. Uh, and I think that really that one mana less is a huge value, and I've been playing with this card, brewing with it. Uh, like I said, I wrote about it, and I've been extremely impressed with her. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of this card. It Obviously, as a common, it's not all uh, awesomeness. It's small, it's vulnerable, but in the right deck, you can really utilize it. And even going off of... We have a theme with this episode, it seems like kind of getting ideas from standard. A lot of the times... 
people, uh, players will use their Snapcaster mages in standard just to get a preordain back or, or not a preordain, a ponder back and, and just to get some value. And this card can do the same thing. Yeah, it's more expensive, but in cloud post, you're, you're casting expensive spells. You're getting your mana pretty high. So I think, I, I, I personally think she's, she's quite good. And, and as far as that storm deck idea, uh, that's probably, a little ambitious because things like Trinket Mage and Ghostly Flicker and Archaeomancer casting those consistently requires upwards of three or four mana. Whereas the the other uh, the Empty the Warren and Grave Shot Storm decks they don't really need that much mana to to go off. So um, yeah, I, I just want to clarify that my opinion was reserved for the blue red post deck. Sure. And and I don't really think there is a situation where you costing. <clears throat> For the four mana ability is going to matter if you can't cast the five mana ability. You're going to lose. If you have to play, if you're in a situation where it is vital that you get a spell back and you only have four mana, you are most definitely on back foot already. But you have a point in that you're wanting to spend the mana on something else, but I still think that the wall is better. But this is only for blue red post or blue black post. Whichever is running. I just want to clarify. Okay. All right. Um, well, uh, let's move on to uh, a couple of other cards in blue. Um, I actually there is there is a deck, and uh, actually on the thirteenth of July uh, and a couple of other occasions, it. It made it into the money in in the dailies, and that's the Turbo Fog deck. Might have some other names, but it's basically a deck that uses uh, fog effects and counter spells to stop uh, the opponent's deck. And in the meantime, it's using things like Jay's Erasure, uh, which is uh, an enchantment that that mills your opponent while you're drawing cards and other mill cards. Uh, to, as a kill condition, and it, it combines that with a bunch of card draw, uh, and, and that's basically the deck. Uh, and there's two cards in this, in this new set that could help that deck. One of them is Mind Sculpt, and this is uh, a sorcery that for one colorless and a blue uh, mills seven cards from the opponent's deck. So that's quite a lot of cards. There, there, there was actually a rare card in Ravnica, I believe, that did, did the same, but for 10, 10 cards. It, it cost a blue and a black, and it milled your opponent for 10 cards. And it, it was an expensive card in terms of, of how much it cost to get it on the secondary market. And I'm not sure if it was used much, but it's not very far away. Um, so I think... Mind Sculpt could see play in a deck like this. Uh, and before I let you guys talk, let me mention the other card, and then we can we can discuss them both. And that would be Downpour, and that just taps three creatures. And so for many decks, that's almost a fog, uh, though probably not not as good. But maybe there's a blue version of this deck that could be more consistent, and there. Uh, you'd be getting another fog effect from blue. Uh, Between the two, I think I'm more interested in seeing what applications downpour could have. 
because there's many effects like this in blue, but this one is one of the cheaper ones for what it does. And maybe at some point in time, this could be used in a primarily blue sort of aggro deck where you want to use cards like Vapor Snag to remove blockers. And you could also have maybe one or two of these as sort of a finisher of sorts. And But also, like you said, in Fog-based decks, it could also have some benefit. Yep. So that one interests me the most. And I think with... and. I don't know if you mentioned this, but Downpour is one colorless blue. It's an instant. Mm -hmm. So I think it's costed well enough that it it might have some kind of application. It's kind of narrow because, like you said, it's only going to affect certain decks. Um, I mean, you don't want this against control usually. I mean, you, you could use it because you can get rid of their last couple blockers, but blank against Storm and stuff like that. Um, but as far as Mind Sculpt, I really, I don't know how to rate this card because it's a little hard to judge the power level of a mill card. Um, at what point is X amount of mana worth milling X amount of cards? See, I don't know the answer to that. Um, so that's, that's kind of, kind of my only input. I, I will say that mill is a strategy that I feel is really only solid really only, I guess, um, particularly powerful against a couple opposing strategies. And against the other ones, I don't know that it's fast enough in this format to work. But, you know, uh, all these cards that I'm mentioning or saying that I think they're slightly underpowered for Classic Popper, I think almost all of these cards we've talked about so far should be looked at in Standard Popper. Yeah. And, and, and I think they almost all have a home or whether they have a home that already exists or a future home, I, I think that's pretty much uh, goes without saying. Yeah. L- let me tell you something. Uh, Turbo Fog does exist in standard proper, and when played properly, it can be you know pretty pretty strong. And it has a really good matchup against White Weenie. So White Weenie is a dog against uh, Turbo Fog. It, it just can't, it can't beat it because it doesn't have enough reach. It doesn't have anything to get past the... Uh, the fogs, and they have way too many fogs to just enough to, you know, stop, stop, uh, white weenie and just, uh, mill them out quickly enough. Um, so, so there's, there's a deck that could, that if you're, if, if you're playing standard popper and your metagame is full of white weenie, uh, try this one. It's very bad against burn though, because fog does not stop. <laughs> Yeah. Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay, so let's move on to black. Actually, I think black is one of the, the color, the colors that, the color that got the, got the shaft, the biggest shaft on M13. I don't think there's really anything, uh, very much playable. Uh, but I do want to mention a couple of cards. Uh, the first one is Bloodhunter Bat. And I think you gave this, uh, a small, uh, look at in your in your article. Um, I was so Blood Hunter Bat is is actually a card that's similar to something that has been printed before. It's a two two flyer for three and a black, and when it enters the battlefield, target player loses two life and you gain two life. And so, so obviously at four mana for a two two flyer, that's a little bit expensive, and the the 
the life drain is probably not not good enough on its own. But I was thinking maybe some kind of control deck that could abuse uh, flicker abilities. It might have a home there. Uh, but this would be something very experimental. And I don't know just how much of a chance it might have. Well, I was looking at this card more in the more along the lines of in a black aggressive deck. Okay. Simply because there's cards like Soul Cage Fiend that came out in one of the previous sets, and, and black is now starting to get some some reach in the form of creatures. Mm-hmm. So maybe this could be at the top end of the curve of that kind of deck, but like you said, it's probably too expensive to do that. Um, we'll just have to see how it synergizes with the rest of those cards that would go into a deck like that. Yeah. Okay. I, I think this is another case of maybe a home and standard popper, but probably not classic popper. You have to remember that classic popper is a very powerful format. I mean, decks win on turn four and five consistently, and even earlier than that. So, yeah, most new cards aren't going to make the cut, if yeah. any at all. Yeah, usually when they cost four or more, it's, it's very hard for them to make. There is one card in this set that costs four that I think could very well make it, but we'll get to it later. Um, let's look at this other card, which I think... Uh, well, uh, there's there's two other cards in black that that I think might have a niche. So one is Vile Rebirth, and this is uh, this is just this is a is it an instant? Yeah, uh, it's an instant that exiles a target creature card from a graveyard, any graveyard, uh, for a single black mana, and you put a two-two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Uh, so I was thinking. This could be relatively useful against uh, some uh, some of the dredge strategies because uh, you're getting rid of one of their cards and you're getting a two-two uh, for a single black mana. I think that's a that's a pretty good bargain. But I just don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know just how how much of an impact that could make. I think. That would be the I only place I, I don't really see a home for the card. I mean, if you want a card against the dredge decks, you could get the relic of Regentis. So just get rid of all their cards. Yeah, it just demolishes their deck. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think... And, and there's no deck for it either. It could be the blue-black post, but not many decks play black that are control-ish. Mm. Or but, at all. There is the mono-black-white. There's mono-black control. Well, but, yeah, that, that's where I would put it, in something like mono-black. I don't think it fits into mono-black control, though. I mean... Well, I mean, you are Against, against most discard. of the format, what are you going to remove? Like, what are you going to remove from the deck, or... like? Yeah, the what, yeah exactly. Yeah, that, oh, that's always actually, a Actually, I right? meant what, it, what creatures are going to remove. Because oh. the, the aggro isn't that prominent right now. It's white green. That's There are not many aggro decks right now. Mm, yeah. Well, actually, you bring up a good point. You can actually use this to negate Loyal Cathar, Young Wolf, yeah, other Undying creatures and Persist creatures. Yeah, that's true, but it's, it's also a surveillance at the same time. So it can also be used as a removal spell of sorts, but it's very conditional. So that's one thing that's working against it. And, and, and especially what you cut from a deck. 
Yeah, that, that's the hard part. What what do you take out? Yeah, I mean, that's this is at most going to be a very narrow sideboard card, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless yeah, there's some way to abuse some aspect of the card. But I'll tell you what, I've been surprised before. I, I didn't actually expect something like uh, Young Wolf to make it to make the cut, you know, as a 1-1. One, one. <laughs> uh, but but it was there because it's cheap, because it's, it's resilient. Uh, so... This this has some card advantage elements uh, in it, and it's very cheap, so you never know. Oh, I might eat my words, we'll see. <laughs> now, here's another one that I thought could have a home in one particular deck. Uh, Crippling Blight. So it's a creature aura uh, for one single black mana, and enchanted creature gets minus one, minus one, and can't block. So I was thinking, well, the, can't, the minus one, minus one could be useful, but probably generally won't be that that uh, relevant. But the cat block could be very useful in a cheap, aggressive deck. So um, Suicide Black is exactly the deck that could see this. You know, it's, it's, it's a very cheap removal spell that removes things the way it wants to remove them, right? It, it only cares that they can't block. Um, so I think this could this could see uh, play in that deck. Unfortunately, that deck isn't particularly strong right now uh, because it's it doesn't have enough reach, I guess, uh, for the, to beat the con- stronger control decks. I don't think I've ever seen Suicide Black. I, I I've played seen it in the tournament practice, but never in the dailies. Oh well, uh, uh, no, it's it's in the dailies. Uh, it's 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 three wand some dailies at least. I have some links. Yeah, I believe you. I mean. I, I believe it, but I don't really think it's viable. Yeah, so it's it's definitely not very popular, and it's obviously not super strong. It's just you know a, a second tier strategy. Uh, but if this this card was going to go anywhere, that's the tech, I think. I, I think you're right. All right. Yeah. And to I, I think we should clarify: Suicide Black. You said cheap aggro deck. Yeah. Cheap aggro deck. But if we can clarify that. The black, the suicide black deck would play the carnifage and the vampire lacerator and yeah. cards like that. Mm-hmm. Like the, the the black suicide cards usually have a downside, but they usually bring a bigger body to the table as a compromise. Mm-hmm. Like both of those creatures are two twos, but they make you lose life. Yeah. So it's a, that's why it's called suicide. Uh, the prime card in suicide black ever. This is not this is not a common. It's called Phyrexian Negator, and it's a 5-5 trample for 3. Mm-hmm. And any time the Negator takes damage, you have to sacrifice an equal number of permanents uh, as to the equal number of damage. So if someone lightning bolts, you have to sacrifice 3 permanents. And that is why it's called Suicide Black. I just wanted to explain to people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're basically killing yourself, but you're killing your opponent faster than, than yourself. Exactly. Did you have anything to say, Dime? Uh, the only thing I can say is that this card is probably most comparable to Deadweight because of the similar cost. Mm-hmm. So if you're contemplating this card, just decide which would serve a better purpose because they both have their advantages. Uh, Deadweight will kill more things, but Crippling Blight will actually allow you to attack into bigger creatures. So yeah. uh, I think you pretty much described the card pretty well, so I don't have a whole lot to add. Okay. All right, let's move on to red. Um, 
So for red, I only have two cards that, that really stood out to me. Uh, so one is Smelt. That's uh, for a single red mana, destroy an artifact, uh, an instant. So essentially a strictly better Shatter, right? And there are already quite a few strictly better cards than Shatter, uh, but this one is the only one that's actually cheaper. Uh, so that I could be... don't agree. No? You're actually wrong. There well, is a one-mana destroy target artifact, red spell. It is, however, conditional. There you are. No, I... <laughs> okay, so uh, what is the condition? It's conditional on... It's, it, it goes under the, same, uh, under the same cycle as Prohibit, in that it destroys target artifact with a converted mana cost of two or less, unless you pay the kicker, in which it destroys target artifact with mana cost, converted mana cost of four or less. Okay, but that, that, one, that one doesn't see any play because the limitation is so huge, right? Yeah, uh, it, the, it doesn't hit any of Affinity's creatures, which exactly. is where you want it. So, yeah. yeah. You're right. uh, so, I think this, this one could actually see play in a deck like Goblins, where being cheap is important, only if uh, it is decided that uh, ha- costing half... Half of the normal cost of um, smash, to smithereens. smash to smithereens that deals three damage to the uh, the artifacts controller, uh, and some people use decaying. It's goblins. called echoing ruin. Echoing ruin. That's the one. Um, most goblin decks. Now we're back to goblins. Back to uh, episode two. Uh, most goblin decks play smash to smithereens. Uh, a few of them play gorilla shaman, but that's gravitated away from that because you need it so early. Yeah, and I really think that Smelt can see play uh, instead of Smash the Smithereens because Goblins has a very tight mana base. <laughs> and playing a spell for one mana instead of two mana to basically the same effect. You, you, you lose the three damage, which can be huge. But I still think it's better that you can play it on turn one and on turn two, or you, on turn two, you can drop a creature and you can destroy an artifact. I think the mana cost is really great. So I really think this could see some play. This is probably the card I think can see play most of the cards. Yeah. In M13. Yeah, but sure. that might just be because I'm, I have played the deck to where I see the potential. Uh, just to kind of juxtapose Luva's comment, I don't know if there's many artifacts on turn one and turn two that we want to be hitting, but uh, you're right that the half of a cost could be very important for the the mana restrictions that Goblins has by playing so few lands. So I, d- I really don't know how much play it'll see, but it does have potential there. Yeah. Well, I, I don't only board in Smash the Smithereens when I was playing Goblins against Affinity. I also boarded in against Blue-Red Post. And if Blue-Red Post drops an Expedition map on turn one, I am going to kill it. Okay. So... Uh, because it, it stops them from getting either a lot of life with Glimmer Post or a lot of mana with Cloud Post. So, since you, you play Smash the Smithereens not only because Gorilla Shaman is bad if you get it late, but only, and also because you can kill Spire Golem, which is a huge flaw. You can kill Razor Golem, and you can kill uh, Prisms in the Blue Red or Blue Black Post decks that use it to uh, get their mana they need. So, Smash the Smithereens is a much more versatile, versatile card. And I think Smelt can fill the same position. Mm-hmm. And I really like it. Okay. So, Gabo, let me take a guess at what the next card's going to be. You're going to take a wild guess? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? 
<laughs> well, that is the next card, yes. Uh, and I think Loaf might have something to say about this one. Oh, right. I'm excited. Uh, so, so Wild Guess, uh, for red, red, so two red manas, uh, and you have to discard a card, you get to draw two cards. Um, so I'm thinking this card could definitely see play in Dredge. Black, red, dredge. Uh, that one's actually... You know, been winning a few things thanks to e hustle, uh, and this card basically gets you two two cards, and it can put a creature in the graveyard. So, uh, except for the for its uh, very harsh cost, I think that's the, the exactly the kind of card that deck wants. So I think this card could see some play there. But not only that, um, there's also well, the Storm could, could use this kind of card. It already... The Mono Red Storm definitely uses Faithless Looting. Um, so it could also uh, use something like this. I don't know what other kind of deck would use it. I don't think it would go well with uh, something like Goblins or, or anything like that. No, the thing you have to note about, the, about this card is it's not card advantage unless you can use the card you discarded. Yeah, it's... Definitely is not card advantage. It, it's and just that, card filter. It, it's break even. You get two cards and you have to pay two cards. The spell and the card you discard. So it's not going to play in any deck that just wants to draw the cards. I don't. I, I think mono red, uh, the mono red storm deck can play it. But I don't think it's going to see play in any of the other storm decks because it's not card advantage. And the other cards in those decks that aren't card advantage, like preordain and ponder, mm-hmm. search much much deeper. Yeah, and have a much less restricted mana cost. So, but I, I think I haven't played the Hustles Blue Black uh, Black Red Tortured Existence deck, mm-hmm. but I think it could see play if it has something to cut. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that one already uses Faithless Looting, so uh, it it might be in competition with that one. All right. Yeah. yeah. Then hmm. I, the thing about Faithless Looting is that it has flashback, which is really really huge. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I haven't played the deck, but it has potential. I think that's all for red. Uh, obviously, you me- you mentioned uh, the uh, Chandra, well, the new Chandra rage, Chandra's Fury. Fury that deals She's four so damage. mad all yeah. the time. <laughs> and and that one's a very expensive card, so that's definitely not seeing any play in in classic. Uh, but as you said, it might see some play in standard. Let's go on to the last color. Which is green. And I think green also got the shaft. I don't think there is really a lot of playable stuff here. At least for uh, classic. And even for... Well, well, for standard popper, you've got something like Sentinel Spider, which is, you know, a 4-4 Vigilance Reach. It's, it's almost a Sarah Angel for green. Uh, but at, it costs 3 and 3 green-green, so 5 mana. Um, I don't think you see anything... That, that doesn't just win the game in Classic Popper at that price. Yeah, um, for example, Moldrifter costs five mana. Yeah, but, but then there, it's, it's that, that card, you're, it's in there because of the card draw, and it's in a deck that, that can make a lot of mana, right, and do a whole bunch of other yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, I agree. It, doesn't, the, it won't be played in Classic Popper. There is one card that really caught my attention, and it's exactly the kind of card I like to play with, and that's Primal Hunt Beast. So this is a, a forecasting cost uh, card, uh, three colorless and a green, and it's just a three-three. But it has a 
this magical keyword called hexproof. And if there's something I've noticed, uh, cards that get creatures that get played in Popper are either have some kind of really cool card advantage, or they're really difficult to deal with. And this is really difficult to deal with uh, because, well, you can't get it with with uh, point removal, and it's big enough to resist uh, most of the mass removal and most of the creatures in the format. So I think this could see play in some of the mid-range green decks uh, that might be playing something like Blastoderm or um, th- that brew you made, Dime, uh, the Cloud Slap deck. Uh-huh. Uh, I think this could go really well in that deck. And it, it has an advantage over something like Blasterderm in that, well, obviously it doesn't die after three turns, and it can wear auras. So it might go really well in a green-white aura deck, or uh, it, it can wear uh, equipment, because it's just hexproof, not shroud. Uh, so I think this card definitely has potential. Yeah, you've convinced me. I, I like it. And I, I think you mentioned this, that a lot, all of the other Hexproof guys are one toughness, except for even Fleetwing, which was from M12. Um, and so they're not really good at attacking into other creatures. So you, you either need to give them evasion or make them bigger. So this guy's already bigger. Uh, we... We have said several times that four mana is kind of usually too much. So, but green does have acceleration, so that could be the thing that puts this one into viability in some very narrow uh, archetypes. Yeah, I mean, compared to something like Guardian of the Guild Pact, um, so the Guardian of the Guild Pact has protection from almost everything, right? From monocolor, but it's only a two-three, so. Um, this one has the same protection against spells in general because of the hexproof, uh, but it's pretty good in combat. So I think I think it it could it could go well in in a similar kind of a role as a guardian of the guild pack. Yeah, let's do it. Let's build it. Yeah. Okay. I'm so, thinking blue green though, not red green. Okay, blue green. Blue green yeah, sounds good I, to me. I've already been working with blue green, and you get access to spectral flight and some other, uh, you know, bluish cards. You can play some card draw to try and or filtering to try and find your auras and stuff like that. So you don't have to play a, bu- a billion auras, <laughs> and you can still play the the one ones because slippery. Bogle, I think it's called. Yeah, that one's blue-green. It allows yeah. your mana to be a little more flexible. You don't have to cry uh, <laughs> if you don't have a forest on turn one. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Maybe that... Uh, uh, right, build it. Uh-huh. It sounds like Dime's next success in deck building. It sounds yeah. like my next 4 <laughs> well, I, I remember when Avacyn... Yeah, exactly. Go for it. When Avacyn Restored came out, we were all excited about some magical blue-green deck that uh, yeah. I think never got together. I think it's time. Yeah. This, this is the one. I, I know it. This is the one. Time to do some hunting. Okay, so that's really the only the only creature that's the only card that stands out to me. Uh, I do want to mention Rancor is getting repeated. We've mentioned it before, but so by now, by the time this is published, Rancor should be really low in price. So I'm just gonna say check it out. I'm I'm guessing it's gonna be like under 0.5 ticks, which is a lot lower than the three ticks that it used to cost. Um, 
So, you know, it's time to get your Rancors, build your Stompy deck. Stompy is now the cheapest deck that you can build. The che- cheapest tier one deck that you can build now that Rancor is, is cheap. Oh, wow. So just just putting it out there. Th- that, wow. that deck had two expensive cards, Rancor and Quirion Ranger. Sentinel? Uh, no, the Sentinel is like 20 cents, 15 cents. You can get it okay. for, for bulk. Uh, but, yeah, Quirion Ranger was like three, three decks at one point. And when it was printed as uh, as the promotional, uh, the the rewards play rewards card, it just plummeted. And now Rancor is going to plummet. So there you have it. Stompy is the cheapest deck you can you can build now. Nice. And and it has cheap sideboard. Uh, so there's there's no excuse. Everyone can play. <laughs> everyone play it. <laughs> everyone can play. Everyone. Popper. Yeah. Okay. So. That's about it. There's there's a bunch of cards that you can play in standard, but I think we've we've gone on for long enough. Uh, so we'll leave that for another day. Well, we'll I hate to do this. I have three cards that I want to ask about. Please go ahead. Please go okay. ahead. Okay. Because we moved into green, but there was one more red card I wanted to see what your guys' opinion was of. And that card is called Rummaging Goblin. It's two colorless and red for a 1-1 that has the reverse Merfolk Looter ability. So that that's the thing that Red's been getting lately, the discard a card, draw a card. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just wondering, now that Red is getting this effect more often, do you guys think there's any way to possibly utilize or abuse that in Red? I think that this card and cards like it, like Wild Guess, could be used in Tortured Existence types of decks where you use the graveyard. Otherwise, it's card disadvantage. Or equal card. That's usually not very good. That's well, my it, opinion. It's, it's still card filtering, and that, that's pretty good. But it, the red version of it, which, by the way, the limited resources guys are calling rummaging, which I thought is a, a pretty cool name. You know, instead of looting, you're rummaging. You have oh, to discard yeah, a card Because Merfolk looter, yeah. and now... Rummaging goblin. So, yeah, okay. Rummaging so it is. When you discard a card first, and then you draw a card, that's rummaging. So uh, I think rummage, rummaging is more expensive, generally. The the card costs more than a Merfolk Ludo. Um, and obviously, in a red deck, it has a bigger advantage, because there's, there's more powerful spells that you can rummage into, uh, like, in a, like in a burn strategy. So it could have a home. But the problem is it's it's been balanced out uh, to be a little bit too slow for classic pop, I think. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, the red-black dredge deck. I think that's that's probably, yeah, the best the best home it could have. But I, I didn't mention it because I thought uh, it was... It, it's a little slow for that uh, because you have to put it into play and then it's got summon uh, in sickness and it's very weak, right? It's just a 1-1. One, one. And it doesn't get there until third turn, uh, so I, I I think it's going to be too slow for anything to do, uh, you know, yeah. to, to work. I, I was I didn't mean this guy, but I meant rummaging in general. In general, would, could find a home in a deck that runs uh, uses the graveyard as a part of their strategy. Yeah, yeah. But not. I don't. I, I didn't. I don't think this will find would find a home in goblins, even if it was uh, cost two mana, because the effect just isn't good enough. Yeah, and goblins it definitely doesn't doesn't really have a home. 
Okay, the other two cards that I was curious about are green cards, and they are, there's one called Timber Pack Wolf. It's a grizzly bear, so 2-2 two, two for colorless and green, who gets plus one, plus one for each other creature you control named Timber Pack Wolf. So this is another card I was really struggling with trying to figure out how to rank it in terms of its power level and stuff. It reminds me a little bit of uh, some of those other cards that get better the more you have, such as, you know, accumulated knowledge or something, or rune snag. Whereas if you have two of these guys, you have for four mana total, you have two bodies that are three, three uh, each. So that seems kind of good, but I just like, I, I'm just curious to know what you guys think of the card because I don't know. I don't have a real good basis on how to assess this card. My gut feeling with this card is that the, first of all, it's going to be run in decks that can't filter or find the other copies of the card. You mentioned both Runesnag and Accumulated Knowledge. Both of those are blue. And, uh, for example, Accumulated Knowledge, as we know, are, is played in uh, Mono Blue Control. And Mono Blue Control stalls, it draws cards, it takes time, and the same deck can play Runesnag. But you have no card draw, usually, in a, in a green deck, and which makes it difficult for you to find the other wolves to get the positive effect. And if you don't find the other wolves, it's just a two for two for two, which is not good enough usually. So that's my opinion. Yeah. So I'm going to go with this from a design perspective. So this is uh, really a card made for limited play. It's similar to what they did with Cold Snap. Uh, in Cold Snap, they made a lot of cards that had this special ability. Uh, I can't remember what the ability was called, but basically when you played the card, you looked at the top end cards of your library, and if you saw another card that had the same name, you would get to play it again, and and you continue looking. And the idea was that you know you try to uh, get a lot of those cards into your deck, and so playing one single card generated a big effect if you were able to to dig into more copies of that card. And you can do something like that in Limited with this guy, because in Limited you only have 40 cards in your deck, and you can have as many copies of any card uh, as you can get. So there's, there's no four maximum copy limit in Limited. Uh, so the idea is uh, you want to be the only person drafting timber pack wolves uh and then you can get uh, some big creatures in in constructed you've got a 60 card deck so it's going to be harder to to get this this card and it's really the, the way it's costed uh, you know it's a 2 2 it, it's a bear you want to put it in an aggressive deck and an aggressive deck usually doesn't have time to try and filter and, and search and do stuff like that. They just want to be playing the, the cards they get as soon as they get it. Um, think about how many times when you're playing against, say, I don't know, White Weenie or Stompy, think about how many times they're actually playing the same copy of a creature. It, it's not really that often. They're usually playing all these all this variety of creatures, except Squadron Hawk, of course, but that one has the, the searchability built in. So, yeah, I'd, I'd I didn't actually mention this card before, even though I did want to analyze it, but because I think it's specifically made for limited play, and it doesn't really have a home in 
in constructed play and even less in something like classic popper where where it's it's underpowered for what it does cool so that's it for me in terms of uh, m13 cards okay um well i think i've i've run out of cards myself um so i think that's about it i think we can wrap this episode up are you still working on your youtube videos yeah, I am, actually. And, well, by the time this is out, it'll kind of be in the past already. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I'm I'm simultaneously working on updating the YouTube and putting out more content on MTGO Academy. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, do you want to uh, give us, uh, um, tell us how to find your YouTube videos? Absolutely. So you can find me on youtube.com slash dimecollectorsc. So um, that's also my Twitter account name, dimecollectorsc. So you can find me at either of those places. You can also, as we mentioned several times, find <laughs> me on MTGO Academy. The article series is Dime a Dozen, and you can look for Jason Moore. That's pretty much where you can find me, other than MTGO, where I am known as Bamboo Rush. And I have a clan there called Popper Gnomes, which I'd be more than happy to invite you to if you just ask me. Oh, by the way, how many how many members do you have now? We are at 39 the last time I checked, and our pack total, by the time this comes out, should be around 200 and something. So uh, that's really cool. That's pretty good, pretty good growth, yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, you can, you can also contact, uh, our, our official, uh, Gmail address, which is popperscage at Gmail. Uh, you can leave comments on the official blog, which is popperscage.blogspot.ca. Uh, you can find all the articles we've uh, mentioned in this podcast and you can find us on MTGO. Uh, I am Gabo Cheeto on MTGO. Dime already said he's Bamboo Rush, and Love is Grusbus. Yeah, on both Twitter and on MTGO. But I don't tweet much, but if people start following me, I'll probably start tweeting them. Actually. Okay. And remember, we now have a Twitter feed on at Popper's Cage. Uh, and that's about it. So, uh, well, thank you very much, Dime. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate being on the show for 10 episodes now, so let's keep it going. Yeah. Thank you, Love. Yeah, thanks. It was a lot of fun always. Okay, and thank you, listeners. Until next time. I noticed you uh you're you're doing some kind of sword fighting. That sounds pretty exciting. Oh, you I read my Twitter update? Yes, I did. Yeah, we just filmed the action sequences 
um, on Saturday, and oh. it was really, really cool. Is, is this like a, a high-budget blockbuster movie, or is this more of an indie it's thing? It's not too high-budget, no. It's it's independent, but they still have some really good, um, really good people involved. We've actually been tr- uh, training in German Longsword for, like, the past two months, and they've, like, paid for all our training and stuff, and then there's like really cool costuming and, and props and stuff. Uh, that sounds pretty awesome. When are you going to be able to tell us what the movie is? Uh, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> I mean, I can kind of tell you about it. It's, it's a fantasy film. It's called Terra and I'm playing a, a dastardly villain. So oh, wow. it's a first for me for a number of reasons. Like I've never really done any, action or fantasy genre type film so it's really exciting so you've got like a uh, like an important role like a leading villain role it's yeah i'm i'm basically the lead henchman so i'm not the main villain but i'm uh, you know tier two <laughs> you're, you're like the, the the one who knows how to fight the one who yeah gets I, yeah stuff. i gotta do the dirty work oh nice oh, i gotta oh. i gotta see that you gotta tell yeah me i when agree that comes out. when is the film due to come out well uh, i'm not exactly sure, but I'll definitely keep you guys updated. Oh, cool. Yeah, dude. 